Hey guys, this is Pastor David with Calvary. Just wanted to give you a heads up. What you're about to listen to is the third sermon in our series on the book of Galatians. Unfortunately, we weren't able to get the audio to you for the second sermon. That sermon is now lost into the halls of eternity, never to be heard again, unfortunately. So, but what you're about to hear is sermon number three. So here you go, guys. Welcome to the podcast of Calvary Baptist Church. We are delighted you have chosen to listen in today. It's our hope the message of Jesus will continue to spread and bear fruit, both in your life and the world around us. For more digital content, feel free to check us out on the web at calvarybcmoultrie.com. And now for today's message. All right, guys, so we are in our third week of Galatians. Uh, As you can see, uh, we have entitled the series Eye Candy. Um, And the reason that we've done that is because one of the things that we're talking about is how the human eye is actually very attracted to things that we're calling almost gospels, okay? The human eye is very attracted to things that we call almost gospels. Almost gospels, they're like Christianity. The only problem is that they're not, all right? They, they promise a thriving walk with God, but what they end up doing is they end up stabbing you in the heart instead. They use sometimes the same language as Christianity, but only later do you find out they mean different things by those words completely. Almost gospels, they'll use the Bible, they'll betray and warp its meaning. Those who teach almost gospels, they'll appear to be kind, humble, godly, but secretly what they're doing is they're striking, just, just, just stroking their own ego like, ego like a Siamese cat, all right? Like almost gospels, there's something about human beings that we have this deadly attraction to almost gospels that will actually kill us, all right? But one of the things that we see that Paul is talking to the Galatians about, we read about this guy named Paul. He writes to the Galatians, and what it does is he reminds them of the truth that has saved them and is transforming them day by day. So let's do this, guys. Let's dig in today. I'm super excited. Galatians, we're going to be in chapter 2, all right? Chapter 2 this morning, Galatians chapter 2. And what I'll do is I will start reading uh, in verse 1. So here we go. Paul says this. Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of revelation and said before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles. Why? In order to make sure that I was not running Or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so they may bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So one of the things that we see, guys, maybe you're reading that and you're like, dude, what in the world is he doing? So one of the things to remind, all right, so Paul has actually been, he has been saved by the Lord. He's been converted into Christianity, all right? He is someone who grew up in a very conservative home, extremely conservative, all right? And it's so ironic because who does the Lord send him to? To people who are pretty much nothing like him. Almost think of like this. Think of a kid, maybe from the projects in Los Angeles that God saves and sends to potato farmers out in like Idaho. That's what God does here. 
He sends out a guy who's not anything like those that are going to. Grew up in a Jewish family, was a real, seemed to really know the Lord, knew a lot about the Lord. The only problem is he didn't know the Lord. So what happens, he comes to this church, he's teaching these Galatians, all right? So he comes through, he teaches them. They convert to Christianity, many of them do. They seem like they're doing really well. The only problem is some false teachers come in after him. And here's one of the things they start saying. They start saying this, yo, um, so Paul, he was right in some of the stuff that he said. We're just here to like fill in the gaps. You know, he missed some stuff. Like, we're just here. He's not the most, he doesn't have all the credentials of being like a good, solid Bible teacher. We're just filling in those gaps. This is the point of the book where Paul's like, oh, I forgot something, eh? Let me just show you how much I forgot. Oh, I don't got credentials, eh? Okay, let me just tell you a little bit about my credentials. And that's what he does. Let's take a look. Look at verse 1 through 3 again. Let's see what he says. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of revelation and set before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Brief explanation kind of of this. So one of the things that you see here is that one of the things that Paul is getting at is the big debate. He goes up to Jerusalem. Why does he go up? He goes up because he senses what probably is going to be a division in a lot of the early churches. And here's what the division was over. It was over a symbolic tradition. Symbolic tradition. Those of you who might be familiar with your Old Testament, maybe those who aren't familiar One of the things that God actually does in the Old Testament, he marks off his people from the rest of the people of the earth. How does he do it? He does it physically. He tells his people that all the males on the eighth day will be circumcised. Here's what that means. They cut off part of the skin of one of the male organs. Okay? And what he was doing is he was physically marking off who God's people are who from those who were not God's people. So one of the things, this became so linked with what it meant to follow God that all of a sudden in the New Testament, Jesus comes and what does he do? He marks off his people all right, but he does it completely differently. He does it by his Holy Spirit. Now all of a sudden, people of God are not marked off by what it is on the outside. What are they? They're marked off by what they are on the inside. But here's the problem. You've got a thousand years of baggage with this tradition being associated with walking with God. I'll give you an example. So some of you guys, you have like around holidays, you guys have like traditions that your family does. Okay. My family, they're like the most uncelebrating family ever. I think the only tradition that we have is that like somebody is going to get furious with somebody else. Like that is a solid holiday tradition, like in my family. Like, it's just, like, every year. Like, and it's, the cool thing about it is it's completely unplanned. Like, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a spontaneous tradition. All right? But we don't have a lot of traditions. Like, we, we don't, um, we just kind of are happy if we get through the day and, like, like, something doesn't burn down. Or, like, okay, we, if it's Christmas, like, all the presents, like, get open, everything. We're generally happy that. Some of you guys, 
that's not you. You come from families where there's a lot of like traditions. And a lot of times what can happen is those traditions can sometimes almost take the place of the holiday itself. I'll give you an example. So let's say it's Thanksgiving, all right? And your family has this one solid tradition that they've done for like 20 years. And one year, like you say, all right, hey, hey, we're not gonna do it. We don't got time for it this year. There's always usually one person in the family who is like, what? Oh, we're not doing the tradition? That's fine with me. I mean, we might as well not celebrate Thanksgiving. But I mean, besides that, like, it's totally fine. Like, I have no problem with that. Like, usually this passive-aggressive person. Why? Because they've so associated that holiday with that tradition that if you leave out the holiday, that, that tradition, what are you doing? You're also leaving out the whole holiday. That's what it was like to these people. Circumcision was so intertwined with walking with God that the very idea that a male would not have to be circumcised and still walk with God, that was like just completely mind-blowing. And here's what Paul does. Paul comes along, and this shows something about the gospel, guys, that the gospel is so flexible that what it can do is that it can take away something that has long been associated with it and it still works. I'll give you an example. You go to Honduras today and it's going to look remarkably different what a Sunday looks like right there. You go to China today, a worship service over there, it's going to look remarkably different. Some of you guys have been to Africa. You go to Mozambique, it's going to look remarkably different. Why? Because the gospel, guys, the gospel that we believe is so flexible in that sense. This is why we encourage some of you guys to go on like things like mission trips. Like we got one coming up to Honduras in May and December. If you've never been out of the country, totally suggest you go on one of those. But guys, that's one of the things that we see, the power of the gospel. It is so flexible. It can go into a culture and all of a sudden it almost looks completely different, but yet it's still the same. Guys, this is why like, like in one sense, this should tell us something about in many ways who we are as a church, that there are some things that will always stay the same in our church. All right. There will always stay the same, like what we believe, those type of things. But guys, there's the, there's a day whenever you might see what an electric guitar up here. That's totally fine. There's days you might see like a, like a computer-generated music with somebody running that in a really neat and efficient and powerful and creative way. Why? Because Christianity can go into a culture, and one of the things it does is it expresses in some way new, almost like a new lifeblood for a new life. Some of you guys, you probably know what it's like to go into... Um, You've probably been into a church before where the church still looked like it was back in the 1950s or 60s. Guys, that, that's one of the things that you see. The gospel is so flexible that many times those churches have forgotten, wait a minute. Like, as we go on in the future, the gospel is flexible in the sense that one of the things, when you get old, when we get old, when people come in, there's always going to be new expressions of it. So the gospel is completely flexible. Paul came in and one of the things he said, hey, circumcision, 
Christianity doesn't necessarily need circumcision. But here's one of the things Paul also says. The gospel is completely flexible and yet at the same time completely concrete. Take a look at what he says in verse 4. Yet, because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. To them, we did not yield in submission even for a moment. Why? So that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. See, if you read that, that might actually catch some of you off guard. Did you see like how he spoke to those people? Like, let me ask you, would that be, is that like a, is he quote nice right there? Does he say things that we would usually associate as nice? He doesn't, doesn't he? What did he say? False brothers, those who look like, they say, oh, they believe in Jesus, all right, but there's something about what they believe that is so off. He's like, no, no, sir, these are not brothers. I think to an extent, probably, guys, that probably catches most of us in here off guard. And the more I was thinking about it this week, I think that's because most of us probably, me included in this room, I think all of us have been like, how would I say this? We've all been influenced by an almost gospel and the almost, what I would call the almost gospel of positivity. Like, so this, this almost gospel says that Christianity, here's what it's about. Here's what your faith in God is about. It's about being kind, smiling, being agreeable, saying nothing offensive because after all, nobody's perfect. Being positive, being encouraging. Guys, you can turn on any Christian radio station, and this is basically, this is what you're going to hear. Like, this is it. But guys, one of the things that we see, Paul comes, and he addresses these guys who are teaching these false doctrine, and he's like, no way. No way. How can Paul say something like this? Because... On one hand, while the gospel is so flexible, in 20 years, I pray that this will look completely different. On the other hand, it is completely concrete. There are things that will not change. Like, they can't change. What we believe about the Bible, what we believe about God, what we believe about human sexuality, what we, what, what we think about all those, all those things, what it means to be a godly man or a godly woman, to walk in faith, those things are completely concrete and they cannot change. They can't change. It's impossible for them to. Because once you jettison that, you've jettisoned the entire faith. I was thinking about this, guys, and I was thinking how it seems like I, when I, most of the churches that I've, I've been around, most churches, they usually slip into one of these two. They would say the gospel is only flexible or the gospel is only concrete. You go into a church, guys, that feels like the 1930s, 40s, 50s, 60s. They think that the gospel is only concrete. Nothing is up for grabs. We have to sing the exact same music, the exact same songs and the exact same instruments we have for But guys, that's the beauty. Like Jesus has revealed himself. Why? So we get things like the Psalms that say, sing a new song to the Lord. Why? So that a coming generation would see and be like, wow, this is totally true. It's not just been true for all this time and then stop being true now. No, it's even true now. It's true in my life right now as well. 
Or you get churches who say, hey, you know, everything is flexible. Everything is flexible. Like doctrine is flexible. Guys, let's just, let's just think about that for a second. Like if every time you change your mind about something or every time you come to the Bible and maybe there's something that you don't like in it and you just disagree with it. Like just think about it for a second. If you never allow the Bible to correct you, if you never allow the Bible to, in many ways, almost kind of like rebuke you or change your thinking on something, are you even coming to the God of the Bible? It just seems like every time you agree with God, then you're like, okay, that's, that's what God is. Every time you don't agree with him, you say, oh, that's not who God is. Is your God really the God of the Bible or is he just some spiritual yes man who like literally agrees with you on, like, oh, he, he just agrees with you. And every time you change your mind, it's convenient because so does he. Guys, it's not what we've been called to. We've been called to complete flexibility and yet complete concreteness all at the same time. That I pray, guys, that us as a church, we will look radically different in 10, 15, 20 years. People will be different. Music will be different. Like the way that we express like our thanks to God in some ways would be different. But yet on the same note... There will also be a, a pulse of sameness. That this is the same God that we have believed in. That he doesn't change his mind. That his word is secure. This word never changes. So we see that the gospel is both crazy flexible and radically concrete. But let's take a look at the next section. So Paul, first thing he does, he's basically, he's basically, remember, he's in many ways almost saying, hey, you don't think that I have like credentials to teach? Let me just tell you about another story. So here he goes. Look at verse six. And for, from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted to the gospel to the circumcised, for he worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry, to the circumcised, work through me and mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas, that's also Peter, that's short for Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. But when Cephas, remember, again, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by, his, by their hypocrisy. But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter, Cephas, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Jews to live, the Gentiles to live? Like Jews. So again, these guys are saying, Paul, like, what are you doing, man? You don't, you don't have the pedigree to be teaching. So one of the things that Paul does, he's like, oh, I don't have the pedigree. Okay, let me just give you an example. So what he does here is he details this time that he actually goes up to Jerusalem to meet with the church leaders, some of the church leaders. Did you notice? Who did he meet with? Look at verse 9 again. 
And when James and Cephas, a.k.a. Peter and John. So some of you guys, you've been in church a long time. Let me ask you, do you know those names? You know those names, don't you? Why? Because those, in our minds, those are like the big dogs. Those are the guys that, and two out of those three, were disciples of Jesus. The other one is Jesus' brother. So Paul said, oh, you don't think I have the, oh, quote, pedigree? Oh, you don't think I got it right? You don't think the gospel that I preach you is right? So what he does is he says, I went up to the top dogs. The people that you would think, oh, these are like the famous people. But then what he does is he does this subtle little that will totally rock your world. Look at what he says about these in verse 6. And from those who, notice what he says, he's talking about these three, seem to be influential. What they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Do you notice what he said there? He's like, I went up to these three that everybody looks at like they are the top dogs. And he says, I mean, I don't care. They're, they're just guys to me. Now, here's what he's not saying. He's not saying, hey, this is a reason for you to disrespect those in authority over you. No, like God's given us authority that we would do that, that we would follow it, that we would live under that in a good way. Here's what he's saying. Maybe an example. Um, so some of you guys in this room, you are very, let's say, like you're, 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 you're what the world will consider like a beautiful person. Or you're what the world will consider like a funny person. And what you can do is you can actually you use your physique, use your personality to manipulate people in this life, right? Like you can do that. You can use your physical abilities to manipulate people. Get them to do what you want because maybe you're beautiful. Get them to do what you want because maybe you're funny. You can actually use your, your personality to manipulate and get things that you want in certain ways from certain people. I would not recommend that. Because guess what? There's a day, if you're beautiful, guess what? You're going to radically be not as beautiful anymore. If you're super buff, sorry, Louis, there's going to be a day you're going to be old man Louis. And you ain't going to be doing 40 chin-ups like you did the other day. You won't. Like, it's just naturally, our bodies are going to break down. Here's what he's saying. Human beings, they can show distinctions among one another. One can be beautiful, one can be funny, one can, and they can use that to disadvantage. God is not like that. God does not show the distinctions. Some of you are great in the world's eyes and in people's eyes. Some of you people don't know who you are. God literally sees us on the same plane. You miss popular, and you mister who knows, and nobody knows who you are. God sees us all on the exact same plane. He sees us for what we are. So I think, one, he's saying that, but here's the other thing he's saying, guys. One, that God sees through all our pretensions, but yet he's also saying this, that he's making us all, that God, through Christ, has actually made us all insiders. Here's what I mean. Um, I remember uh, when I was a kid, I don't know if you guys ever did this, um, going through school, they asked you what you wanted to do as a kid. And um, I remember I used to tell people, uh, I want to be an insurance agent. 
a State Farm insurance agent. You might be like, David, that seems like a very random thing. Like, you're a firefighter, police officer, State Farm insurance agent. Well, it would make suddenly sense because my dad, guess what he did? He is a State Farm insurance agent. When I first moved to Moultrie, I remember uh, I was at work and um, Sharon DeMott, she's a State Farm agent here. Um, she came to my work and uh, um, she was doing something with a conference center and uh, they said, oh, David's new to town. And she's like, oh, hey, you need insurance? Like, you need, uh, like, and I'm like, I'm like, no, ma'am, I, I can call my insurance agent anytime and I really like that. And she's like, well, you can call me anytime. And part of me was like, I wonder how far this could go. Like, my dad, let's see, my agent gives me Christmas presents every year. My agent invites me to his Thanksgiving dinner. Like, but she's like, hey, no, I'll do that. I'll do that. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't get it. Like, so you're, you're, you're like an expert. You're a guru, a guru in insurance and all that. My dad is my insurance agent. Because it's one thing to actually have like an expert or a guru. And another thing is that person is actually your father. One of the things that Paul is getting at here is that here's the thing. He doesn't need the approval in many ways of some other like Peter, Paul, these people. Why? Because the Lord has saved him, transformed him, and now he is preaching the gospel. Here's what he's saying. You don't. In many ways, you, and I need to be careful, I said, you don't need a spiritual guru. You don't need a spiritual guru. Someone who is like, because I mean, I walk around, guys. I mean, we live in this culture where one of the things you'll notice about almost gospels is they always have someone who has a more connected relationship with God than you. And what you do is you you have to go to that person continually, what? to ha- To have that kind of a relationship. One of the things that we see, the beauty of the gospel, guys, is that God, we were his enemies, and through the cross, what has he made us? Sons and daughters. That you don't need some spiritual guru. Do you need a pastor? Yes, you need pastors to walk with you, to guide you. Absolutely. But here's the thing. I am no different than you, in one sense. I put on my pants every morning, one leg at a time. I, there's nothing, I am not on some different spiritual plane. That you were actually built for a relationship with the Lord, to walk with Him daily, like to be ever involved in your life. He is not some distant uncle. He is someone who has saved you and is a father. And not just a father, but a good father. There's a huge difference. Guys, if you think maybe your Christian walk, if, you, if you've come here today and you actually, for honestly, probably see more God more like a distant uncle, you're going to see someone who you don't really run to the word that often to hear from. You're going to not really set aside part times to pray. Why? Because in many ways, he's like a distant uncle. But if he's a father, let me ask you with kids. Do you ever, are you ever with your kids? If your kid wants to talk to you, are you ever be, you ever be like, oh, you need to schedule an appointment? You don't do that, John. Why? Because he's your kid. Like, I've known Josh a long time. 
And if Abby wants to talk, I've never seen him walk up and be like, she'd be like, hey, Dad, Dad you got a minute? And she's like, oh, you need to take a number. Sit down, and I'll be with you in a moment. Never seen that. Why? Because she's the daughter. And one of the things Paul is saying here, he's saying, I don't, you don't think I have the credentials? Jesus Christ has saved me. And what I am preaching lines up with his words. And guess what? That means I am his son. And that means I, what I'm doing here, I'm preaching you guys. I'm preaching you the truth. I'm preaching you the truth. Maybe guys, some of you here today, I mean, we've got a lot of guys here that, I mean, maybe you guys, you come from like families that love the Lord. But still, I, I always wonder, like, for some of you who might be like, you know what, David, like, my family kind of, they, they, they love the Lord and all that. I'm kind of into it. I'm kind of not. I'm, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of a follower of Jesus. I'm kind of not. My friend, if you have not turned from your sins, if you have not like, I'm not talking like a one-time moment. I'm, is there a genuine like hatred for your sin? Like, man, I hate that junk. Is there a genuine love for God? Like, yeah, I want to please Him. Perfect. Oh my gosh, no. But a genuine desire is, yes, I want His kingdom. Yes, I want. He has made us sons and daughters of not for the sake of just us doing, but literally so that you would pour into the life of one another. You'd pour into the life of one another and also at the same time be poured into. That there is a God who actually comes and there's good news, guys. He comes to be a father. Not to be some distant, like, acquaintance. But whenever we're saved, whenever we're turned from our sin, whenever we trust in Christ, whenever he gives us the Holy Spirit, which transforms us from the inside out, what does he do? He makes us into a son or daughter. Guys, and that's radically good news. Some of you guys, you've been wondering, like, God, man, like, David, I, I have been praying, I've been praying and praying. It seems like, like there is an iron, like, curtain, like, that's just shutting like, I, I doesn't feel like my prayers are getting above the ceiling. Guys, pursue the Lord in community. Like, like walk, others, walk with others through that. Let others into your life, into that. Guys, that we have been made one with him. Here's where we'll wrap out. Look at verse 11 real fast. So to prove this point even further, Paul's like, oh, you don't think I have like the credentials? You don't think I'm preaching the gospel? Let me give you an example where I actually had to call out what you think is like the top dog. But when Cephas, Peter, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For certain men came from among James. He was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically. 
along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So Paul recounts this time where he's actually coming. And when he came in, Peter was actually sitting with a bunch of Gentiles. If you know anything about the Old Testament, that was a no-no. You don't eat with Gentiles. But one of the things that Paul knew, he's like, I'm not sitting under the Old Testament law anymore. All those things that were meant to physically mark us off as like people who walk with God, God has done now through his Holy Spirit. Therefore, I don't need to do that. I can eat with these and their brothers and I can eat with them, no problem. And then what happens? Some Jewish guys walk in, and what Peter does, he's like, oh gosh, they're going to see me doing this. So what does he do? He gets up, and he sits with the Jews. Why? Because he's really scared of what they're going to think. And what does Paul say to him? Do you guys notice? Paul does not remain quiet. He's not like, oh, okay. No. But when I saw, verse 14, their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Gentile, you live like a Gentile, a.k.a. you don't live under the law anymore, and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Because one of the things he's doing, he's showing, like, hey, and I, I love this in a sense, because one of the things I think this does show is one of the implications of this, guys, is that... Even like, even teachers, like, even like, like, I, I am not above correction, guys. I'm not. Josh is not above correction. Like, Christianity, like, it's not like, oh, the people who are like teaching on Sunday, they can't be correct. No, guys, every single one of us is in need of correction, transformation, and the power of the gospel. Every single one of us. I included in that. I don't stand up here as a guy who's got it all figured out. I need you. I need you. I need you in my life. I need you to know me. And I need you to point out those inconsistencies in my life with the gospel. Guess what? Just like you need me. Just like you need me. The Paul, what he does in this long section... What he's doing is he's saying, these these guys coming in here preaching these almost gospels, he's like, let me completely rock your world. I'm just going to give you a few examples how totally that's not true. And what he does is he shows them that what he's taught them is the absolute truth and it rocks their lives. It's to rock their lives at its very core. That we have a God who has invited us in and who is a good father to us. And seeks to transform us, not just an individual, but using one another. Guys, I was thinking, how do we respond to something like this? I think for many of us in this room, maybe maybe you don't pursue, like you, you do not pursue Bible reading. Like that's not something that you actually like really pursue. But let me warn you, like that's a very dangerous thing. You, because why? Because you might not be serving the God of the Bible. You might be serving a spiritual yes man who just agrees with everything that you already believe. But one of the things that we see 
When we read, and especially when we read in community, one of the things that does is it changes the way that we read. It changes who we are. And what it does is God does his surgical work through his word in our hearts. That some of us, maybe, you, you could probably say that you pursue God almost like he's a distant uncle instead of a good father. And guys, the good news that we have is way better than that. The good news that we have is way better than that. That our Lord has saved us and he has brought us in, made enemies his friends, but not just friends. He's actually made us sons and daughters. Guys, I pray that changes the way that you live out your weeks. I pray that changes the way that you spend your free time. I pray that changes the way, even what you interact with. I pray that there'll be even more interaction among you. I pray that there will be more interaction with telling this wonderful news to guess who? Everybody. That we're called to pursue God like he is a good father and not just some distant dad or distant uncle that we barely know. Guys, as the music team uh, comes up, we're going to sing in response today. And one of the songs we're going to sing... uh, it's a song called Lord I Need You because like that 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 is our cry this morning. Like to not pursue the Lord in this half-hearted, like, oh, he's like, yeah, he's kind of good kind of way. But that he's worthy of my whole life, that he's worthy of everything, and the gospel that he has given us is totally true and totally transforms every area of our life. So Brandon Cow, you guys can start coming up, but we're gonna sing, guys. We're gonna sing in response to what this God has done for us. As he has brought us into his family, he's unified us and he's given us the truth. The truth that will show new expressions as time goes on, yet at the same time is always true and that you can totally build your life on. So guys, let me pray and we'll give you a moment to respond, a moment to think uh, on this, maybe a moment like uh, if you need someone to talk to, we got Josh over there, we got some of the guys here, I'm here. But guys, let me pray. And from there, we'll sing in response to what the Lord has done. Thanks for listening in to today's message. For more information about our church, feel free to visit us at calvarybcmoultrie.com. We hope you will join us again next time. Until then, grace and peace.